0: Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. We are concluding our sermon series, Respect, Love, Fear, Honor. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to 1 Peter, Chapter 2, we're going to start here looking at verse 17, which is the text guiding this course of preaching. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Let's read together. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honour the emperor. So in this series, we're looking at these four imperatives of Peter and at what obedience to this text looks like for us if we are to relate well to these different areas of society. That is, uh, to everyone, uh, to each other as fellow believers, to God, and also to civil authority. In week one here, Pastor Wayne covered how we as believers are to relate to civil authority. Week two, Dawn looked at the command to honour everyone or to respect everyone, as other translations put it. Last week, Laura looked at the command to love the brotherhood or the family of God, the household of faith. Today, we conclude our series looking at this short imperative fear God. Fear God. Now, um, the idea that there is a sense in which we are to fear God is an idea that we might feel is incompatible or even at odds with the general presentation of God that most preaching sets before us today. Much is made, rightly, of the approachability and care of God for those who live by faith in Christ and of the great steadfast love that he has for us in Christ Jesus. And there is so much emphasis in Scripture on God's desire for us to not live our lives bound by worry or by anxiety and also uh, on his effectual work to liberate us from enslavement to fear. All of that gets a big amen from me. So then, it might seem odd to add to these great truths and realities a seemingly contradictory imperative that we are to fear God. And yet, here we are. We are here because Scripture, without contradiction, says that we are to be both deeply fearless in life, and also deeply fearing of God. And it's my job to try to help us to make some sense of that today. Now, uh, if you just glance with me over to chapter one and verse 17, Peter says this. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear Throughout the time of your exile. Remember, as we've seen before, uh, Peter sees the primary citizenship of the believer as being in heaven. And so he speaks of our lives in this present age as being a time of exile, a time of uh, sojourning. And he says that while we negotiate these days of exile and sojourning, uh, we ought to do so with conduct that is somehow shaped by fear. Now, whatever this fear is precisely, whatever the experience of this fear is to be like, it's clearly intended to be fear of God. God is to be the object uh, of this fear. And we see this clearly as we read First Peter 1, verse 17 in entirety. it says, uh, "And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile." So in this, we see that fear is intended to be for God, and we also see the first basis that we are given to fear God. That is that he is a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. By the way, uh, I hope that we are those who take the biblical warnings of a day of judgment seriously. Can we talk about this for a moment? Uh, It's as good good a moment as any. Uh, there There are many who have a kind of Uh, intoxicated and false understanding of life and of God. And so they see no personal need for what the Apostle John calls confidence for the day of judgment. Let me call out uh, two common false understandings of life. uh, And in my view, these are equally false. One intoxicated and false understanding of life is to say that there is no God. And if there is no God, then, of course, there is no divine judge, nor is there to be a day of judgment before a divine judge, so then there's no need for confidence for the day of judgment. That's one intoxicated, false understanding of God. A second one, a second intoxicated and false understanding of life is to say that there is a God, but there is no day of judgment. Or that there is a kind of a day of judgment, but it holds no prospect for any man or woman to fear. Now, the problem with that second category of thinking is that it can so easily creep into the church. Amen. And subscribers to such a view, they, they kind of have uh, no shortage of confidence for the day of judgment, but they have no basis for their confidence. Amen. Their confidence is unreasonable. And it is shaking. I don't think that an intellectually honest reader of Scripture has any option but to honestly contend with the reality of a day of judgment. Perhaps most plainly, uh, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. To me, seems super clear, right? And yet again... Uh, So many professing believers either deny the biblical reality of this or they claim to see an ambiguity that just isn't there. I don't see it. And it's worth asking a few questions at this point. First, um, have we in some way allowed ourselves to be deceived by our own deceitful desires? Have we been duped by our own confirmation bias? Are we trying to construct an image of God according to our preferences? Have we been charmed by intoxicating ideas that are wishful but unbiblical and untruthful? Have we taken something which the Bible keeps at the forefront of the discourse ...and just attempted to relegate it to the very back of our minds... ...so that we don't have to deal with uncomfortable realities. And if so, what have we lost? What do we stand to lose? Well, actually, one thing that we stand to lose... ...is a basis for fearlessness in life. There is great fearlessness in life to be found... ...in uh, possessing confidence for the Day of Judgment... If we have confidence for the day of judgment, why shouldn't we have confidence in every area of life, right? If we get this sorted, uh, we have a strong basis to live our lives on. And another thing that we stand to lose is a proper fear of God, which is what Peter is saying here in verse 17 uh, of chapter 1 and then circling back to over in chapter 2. We have cause to conduct ourselves in fear because the one whom we call our heavenly father will judge everyone and he will judge everyone in the same way. So the first reason to conduct ourselves in fear is that the one that we call our heavenly father judges everybody in the same way based on each one's deeds. In other words, uh, we must all contend with this question. How do we measure up Against God's holy law. See this with me over in uh, Romans 2 and 3. Let's just have a look at this together. Romans chapter 2, and then flicking over to chapter 3. Paul writes in uh, Romans 2, verse 11 For God shows no partiality, for all have sinned, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Essentially what he is saying is summed up over in Romans 3, verse 20. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And then in verse 22, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's put all of that together. We are to conduct ourselves with fear because the one whom we call Father judges everyone impartially according to how we measure up against his holy law and everyone falls short of the standard that is demanded by his holy law and the consequence of falling short of the standard that is demanded by his holy law is judgment. Now, I believe that everything that I've just said is biblically true. But in the gospel, there is another truth to be considered, isn't there? Because what I've just preached to you was not the whole gospel. What I just preached to you was the law. But there is a but God in the gospel. Yes, God judges according to the law. And yes, we all fall short of the standard of his righteousness. But what about the grace and the full and free pardon that is offered to us who hope fully in the Lord Jesus Christ for redemption mm-hmm. and for deliverance Amen. out of this hopeless predicament? Hallelujah. Yes, Paul says in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he continues that we can be Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith in him we can have confidence for the day of judgment because when God looks upon the one who has faith in Christ he will see the perfect righteousness of his son imputed to them That is the ultimate thing that faith in Christ does for you. It does more than gets you that perfect parking spot on a busy day at the shopping mall. It does even more than healing your diseases. It puts your sin upon him on that cross and puts his righteousness upon you for the day of judgment. And that is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. For in it, a righteousness from God is revealed. That is true in your life. That is why you have confidence for the day of judgment. That's why you can go through life with a profound fearlessness. The one who lives by faith needs not tremble concerning the outcome. Of God's judgment on that day. The one who doesn't live by faith has good cause to tremble. God will judge in one way, according to the law, and God saves in one way through faith in Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel. He has made a way for all who will trust in him for deliverance from bondage, from sin and death. Romans three, verse twenty eight we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law so thank god for the gospel right right thank god for jesus right because he saves but here's the thing back in 1 peter 1:17 the command to conduct ourselves with fear that's written to christians over in 1 Peter 2:17, when Peter tells us to fear God, he's talking to Christians. This is written to those who have experienced God's saving power and now have a basis for confidence on the day of judgment. This is written to us if our hope is in him. So if our hope is in him, how should we fear? This is the point, I think, of verse 17, both in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2. We should fear, we Christians, should fear living as if our hope were not in him. Our hope is in him, and we should fear living as if our hope were not in him. Now let me try to, I know that's a bit of a confusing sentence, Let me just try to flesh out what I mean with a couple of practical examples. Turn with me over to uh, 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. Now, 1 Timothy 6 in verse 10, Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away From the faith, and have pierced themselves with many pangs. From verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, that's us, right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, sharing, uh, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, when we yield to the temptation to love money, whatever form the love of money takes, when we yield to that temptation to love money, we should ask the question what are we hoping in here? What are we hoping in here? Are we hoping in God? Is our faith in God? Or are we hoping in money? Have we wandered away and put our faith in the uncertainty of riches? When we behave in a way that is inconsistent with our faith and our professions and our hope being in God, we need to let the fear of God drive us back to grace. The fear of God drives us back to grace. Let me try another example. I really want to land this point. Uh, over in Romans 12. Romans 12. Verse 19. Beloved, that's you, by the way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when uh, the one who trusts in God and lives by faith in him is wronged, they don't yield to the temptation to avenge themselves. Rather, uh, they trust that God is just and ultimately he will settle Accounts and punish all sin, uh, either on the cross uh, or by the unrepentant sinner in hell. And of course, we don't relish the thought of people experiencing eternal torment. It's not like we're wringing our hands when we're wronged and said, "You know, you'll pay for that, buddy." Uh, but we do we do consider the reality and the surety of the divine and righteous justice of God, and so uh, we're free from the burden of needing to avenge ourselves. Instead, we're free uh, to offer grace and forgiveness to those who sin against us in the hope that we will point them to the kindness and the mercy of God. That's how we uh, as believers live. But then, let's be honest, sometimes we don't do that, do we? Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we don't trust in God uh, in that way. Instead, we, um, we yield to the temptation to avenge ourselves. We hold grudges. We plot revenge, whatever. And when we do, whatever form uh, our vengeance takes, the big question that we should ask is, what am I hoping in here? What am I hoping in here? Am I hoping in God? Is my faith in God? Or am I hoping in myself? Am I living as if the only way that this is going to get avenged is if I exact retributive justice? When we behave in a way that is inconsistent with our faith and our professions of our hope being in God, we need to let the fear of God drive us back to grace. Do you see this? Whenever we sin, whatever the sin, in that moment we are saying, God, you are not enough. You are not enough. And so to conduct ourselves with fear is not to just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, uh, let's just continue in sin so that grace may abound. But rather we repent and we say, no, 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 God, you are enough. Forgive me, God, Uh, I'm turning from behaving like my hope is in myself or in my wealth or in sex or in the approval of man or whatever. God, my hope is in you. Let it only be in you because your name is the only name that saves. And let me live like I believe that during my time on earth in order to make sure the hope of my calling. Man, I'm preaching well this morning. I reckon I'm preaching well this morning. It's not very often I'm preaching well. (laughs) Okay. It is the fear of God in this life that gives us both the grounds for fearlessness in this life and confidence for the day of judgment that is to come. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.